morning, Plum Creek. I want to welcome all of you here today, especially if you happen to be new to our church. And really, it doesn't matter who you are, we are glad you're here. And the truth is, I'm glad I'm here, too. It's only my second Sunday back after being gone on sabbatical for three months. But I'm excited to jump into the sermon this morning. Today, we're wrapping up our series called Focus. And I believe this is a message that applies to all of us in one way or another. And I want to begin by reading a famous quote from Jesus. This quote comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verse 10. In that verse, Jesus says, For the Son of Man, and that's a title he uses to refer to himself, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, that's a very important verse. In that verse, Jesus is saying, this is why I came to earth. I'm here because people are lost. They're disconnected from God. But I can do something about that. I'm the one who can save them. So right here, Jesus is giving his mission statement. And if you've heard the, th the first three messages from this series, you know this is exactly what we've been talking about. The mission of Jesus has become the mission of the church. So today, every church should be focused on reaching lost people because that's what Jesus was all about. Last week, we looked at another important verse. In Matthew 4.19, Jesus was speaking to a couple of fishermen, two brothers named Peter and Andrew. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Peter and Andrew accepted his offer, and they became two of the original 12 disciples. But do you remember what we said about that verse last week? That verse gives us the definition of a disciple of Jesus. A disciple is someone who actually follows Christ. A disciple is being changed by Christ. And a disciple is someone who is committed to the mission of Christ. Matthew 4.19 shows us that from the beginning, Jesus had a plan to entrust his mission to his followers. If you take an honest look at the Gospels and really all of the New Testament, it's very, very clear. God has told the church to go out and make other disciples of Jesus. We keep going back to Matthew 28 where Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So, there's no question about what the Bible says. That's not the issue. The issue, the issue is that many people, Christians included, get a little uncomfortable when we start talking about this mission. Now, inside the church, you might hear someone say, oh, I don't know, I, I don't see myself as someone who could lead people to Christ. I, I, I feel awkward, and I don't know enough, and, you know, a lot of people just don't want to hear it anyway. So you might find that attitude inside the church, but what do we hear on the outside? Well, outside the church, you might hear someone say, I think it's pretty arrogant for Christians to go around trying to convert people because what makes you right and me wrong? 
If you ask me, it's pretty narrow-minded to say that Jesus is the only way to God. So we have a little dichotomy here, don't we? On the one hand, the mission of Christ is, is clearly given in Scripture. But on the other hand, there's a good bit of resistance to that mission, both inside and outside the church. So what do we do with this? Well, let's see if we can figure this out together. And we'll start by looking at a modern-day example. Just a few days ago, a story showed up in my news feed. Uh, Somebody wrote an opinion piece in USA Today. And I want to read you the title. It said, Churches could win back teens like me if they were more welcoming and less judgmental. Now, whenever I see a title like that, I I just have to read the article. It's, It's like a moth to a flame. But anyway, I saw that this was written by a high school student, a 15-year-old girl, and she starts by saying that churches are alienating young people, and then she shares her own experience. On Easter Sunday, she went to church with her mom, and some lady walks up to her mom and tells her it's not appropriate that she's wearing pants to church. So far... I'm on the same page with the girl who wrote the article because that's not how Jesus treated people. But the girl goes on to explain that it's time for the church to change. It's time to let go of the past. Here's a quote. She says, Christianity's rich history and established values are not an excuse for churches to resist change. Hmm. When you talk about abandoning your history and your values... I'd say we're getting into trouble here. But let's keep going. What kind of change does this girl recommend? In her opinion, she says the church should be a safe place for worship. Okay, can't argue with that. And then she says the church should not be a convert-seeking institution. All right, we have to talk about that one. When you use the phrase convert-seeking as an institution... Are you talking about a self-righteous group that cares more about winning an argument than actually loving people? Because if that's what you mean, then yeah, we should have a problem with that. But if you're saying that the church should throw out the mission that Christ gave us, well, I can't hang with you there. But in the end, that's what this girl is looking for. She points out a particular church that she sees as a good example And the church she likes takes teens to various places of worship, representing all kinds of religions and beliefs, and young people are encouraged to incorporate whatever they like into their own worldview. That's very interesting, isn't it? If you take that approach, you're saying that every faith, every belief, every religion, it's all basically valid. It doesn't matter. You can just take your pick. In fact, in the last paragraph of the article, the girl says, spirituality is very much a choose-your-own-adventure. So why do I mention this article? Is it because I want to pick on a 15-year-old girl? No, I hope most of you know that I wouldn't do that. I share this because I want all of us who are followers of Jesus to think about how we might respond to a person like that. What would you say? How would you react? 
Because if we care about the mission of Christ, we have to realize that not every response would be helpful. So let me give you a few potential options, and you can decide if they're helpful or not helpful. Here's option number one. You could read this article and walk away thinking, yeah, that's just like kids these days. They're self-centered. They just want the world to revolve around them. And I'd love to talk to this girl and say, listen, God calls the shots, not you. What do you think? Is that helpful or not? Well, I would argue this is not how Jesus would respond. More on that later. I'll give you another option. What if you read this article and you say to yourself, you know, she may be right. The church probably should loosen up and let go of the old beliefs that some people find offensive. So what do you say about that response? Helpful or not helpful? Well, this one is tricky because if we're letting go of traditions that aren't in Scripture, like that unwritten rule that women should not wear pants to church, well then sure, let's remove every possible barrier that could keep people from God. But if you mean that we should deny the clear teaching of God's Word, that's another story. Jesus did say in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So if we're altering Scripture because we want to be more palatable to the world, that's not okay. All right, I'll give you one more. What if you read this article and you say, oh, my, my heart goes out to this girl. She is loved and valued by God, but she also needs truth, and she needs Jesus. So I'm going to pray that God leads her to someone who will point her to Jesus. You know what I'm going to say about that one, don't you? This response is helpful, but why do I say that? Well, this attitude reminds me of the way Jesus actually treated people. He was full of grace and love, and he also never compromised on the truth. So how did Jesus do that? Well, we can learn a lot by opening our Bibles and paying attention to how Jesus interacted with people. I want to go back to that first quote I shared with you. Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So that's a great verse, but what was the context there? Who was he speaking to? What was the situation? Well, let's back up to the beginning of Luke chapter 19. In this chapter, we, we read a story about a man who was lost, but then he's found. This story helps us understand the mission of Jesus, and it also helps us understand how the church needs to approach that mission today. So let's jump in. Follow along with me. Luke chapter 19, starting with verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. 
All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So there's that famous quote from Jesus. Now there's a lot of good stuff in this story, and I want to back up and dig a little deeper. First of all, if you grew up going to church, you are familiar with Zacchaeus. You probably heard this story many times, and uh, there's a good chance you sang the song that goes with it. Uh, Do you remember how that went? Finish the sentence here. Zacchaeus was... great job. He's a wee little man. And it's true, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Uh, We just saw that in the text. Verse 3, he was short. And that song is great for the kindergarten Sunday school class, but this morning I want us to move past the cartoon version of the wee little man. I want to get a picture of Zacchaeus as a real person. He was flesh and blood like you and me. So let's get a mental image. If you are looking for an actor to play Zacchaeus in the movie version, I think a good choice would be Danny DeVito. Check out this picture. He's standing next to George Clooney, and yeah, the guy's definitely short, isn't he? But I could see Danny DeVito playing Zacchaeus not only because he's short, but also because he has experience playing a villain. And there's no doubt about it. People saw Zacchaeus as a villain. In verse 2, we're told that he's rich, but did you notice where his wealth came from? He was a tax collector. And some of you may know about Jewish tax collectors in the Roman Empire, but here's how the system worked. Let's say you're the tax collector for a certain town, and Rome says, we need $1,500 from every citizen of this town. Well, if you are the tax collector, you go around and you collect the money what everyone owes to the empire. But here's the thing. Even though Rome set the tax at $1,500, you could demand $2,000 or $2,500 or even $3,000. Rome didn't care as long as you gave them the $1,500 they asked for. So the system was perfectly designed to encourage corruption. And there wasn't much the people could do about it. They knew they were being robbed, but they couldn't go to Rome and complain. That was more than 2,000 miles away. So in the end, there was this relationship where the tax collectors got rich and the people hated the tax collectors. And don't miss the detail here. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He was in charge of the other guys. He was the kingpin for a network of embezzlement in the city of Jericho. So we have a picture now, don't we? Zacchaeus was short, yes, but he was also very wealthy, very dishonest, and very hated. But then Jesus comes to town, and that's when everything changes. Let's look at four key plot points in this story. Number one, Zacchaeus is curious about Jesus. 
Now, this makes total sense because if we go back to the end of Luke chapter 18, we see that Jesus had just healed a blind man right outside Jericho. So the whole town is buzzing. And when Jesus passes through the city, everybody wants to see him. And Zacchaeus is no different, so he shows up somewhere along the parade route, but nobody will let him up front so he can see. And that's no surprise, is it? Because people can't stand this thieving tax collector. They're not going to step aside, let him get to the front of the crowd. But do you see how badly Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus? He climbs up into a tree. Now, for a wealthy and powerful man, that's not a very dignified thing to do. But Zacchaeus is serious about this, so he sacrifices his dignity. And by the way, this applies to us today. If you want to meet Jesus, at some point, you have to sacrifice your dignity. At some point, you have to lay down your pride. But right here, we reach the biggest turning point in the story. Jesus initiates a relationship with Zacchaeus. He makes his way to the place where Zacchaeus is up in the tree, and what does Jesus do? Verse 5, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Wow. You know what stands out to me there? It's this. Jesus knew his name. Zacchaeus never would have expected that. That must have been an incredibly powerful moment. And, you know, here's another thing that applies to us. See, Jesus knows your name, too. He knows you. He sees you. That's an amazing thing. And for Zacchaeus, I think this would have been very exciting at first. He'd be like, no way, Jesus knows me. But then pretty quickly, I'm sure he started thinking, oh no, Jesus knows me. He knows that I'm a tax collector. He knows I've cheated people left and right. This is not good. And of course, Jesus did know all of those things. But listen, this part of the story is very important. Please notice how Jesus relates to Zacchaeus and notice what Jesus did not do. He could have said, hey everybody, I happen to know that this man in the tree, he's a sinner. And I, I want to publicly expose him and rebuke him. So maybe he'll learn his lesson. That's not what Jesus does at all, is it? Instead of being harsh and condemning, Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. And he's basically saying, hey man, I want to be your friend. Let's hang out. Now, we're at another key plot point here. Zacchaeus welcomes a relationship with Jesus. And this is a big deal. It's actually a scandal. Zacchaeus is glad to have Jesus visit his home, but the rest of the crowd is furious they're thinking, out of all the people to get special attention from Jesus, why him? Why is he wasting time with this sinner? See, those people did not want Zacchaeus to receive grace from Jesus. They wanted him to get what he deserved. Condemnation, punishment, 
some kind of retribution for his actions. I mean, he didn't deserve some special friendship. It didn't make sense. But the crowd had forgotten something very significant. What if Jesus had given them exactly what they deserve? Or let's make this personal. What if Jesus gave us exactly what we deserved? Would you want that? I definitely would not want that. Because I deserve punishment, not grace. So whenever we relate to other people, we should remember not to get up on a high horse like we're better than others, like we're more righteous than anyone else. Because we're all desperate for grace. We all need Jesus. We need Him just as much today as we ever did. Without Jesus, we're completely lost. But with Jesus, we can be found. And this is my favorite part of the story. After encountering Jesus, Zacchaeus was a transformed man. Now, we don't know exactly what Jesus and Zacchaeus talked about. I I wish we did. But we do know that Jesus gave this sinful man a chance to turn his life around and have a restored relationship with God. Jesus offered grace. Zacchaeus accepted that grace, and then he started living a changed life. Zacchaeus gives half of his wealth to the poor. That would have been a lot. And he pays back everyone four times what he owes. And then what did Jesus say? He says, salvation has come to this house today because this man too is a son of Abraham. Now, let's make sure we don't get this mixed up. Did salvation come to Zacchaeus because he started doing a bunch of good things? No, absolutely not. You don't earn God's approval by doing good things. We, we could never do enough to earn God's approval. So check it out. What's the order here? Jesus offers a relationship. Zacchaeus receives that relationship. He accepts that offer of grace And that's when he becomes a new man. And Jesus calls him a son of Abraham. So what does that mean? Well, why was Abraham accepted by God? Was it because Abraham did enough good things to outweigh the bad things that he did? No. Look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. It says, So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. So that's the connection between Zacchaeus and Abraham. It was faith. Both of them put their trust in God. Both of them surrendered to his will. And that's what God is looking for from each one of us. So again, this is a great story. But one of the things I love about this story is that every turn of the plot was completely unexpected. It was surprising that that Zacchaeus, the tax collector, wanted to connect with this righteous teacher named Jesus. And it was shocking when Jesus called out his name and went to his house. And then it was almost unbelievable when Zacchaeus became a transformed man. And you know what that tells me about people around us today? It tells me, don't write anyone off. Don't say, Well, that person will never become a Christian. That person will never be willing to change or give up their lifestyle. So expect 
the unexpected. Because sometimes we will be surprised by the people who turn to Jesus. In fact, I hear about this happening all the time. Somebody might come up to me and say, hey, I invited my friend to church and I totally expected them to say no, but right away they said yes and they're here. Actually, that happened last Sunday. Or sometimes when a person gets baptized, somebody will say, I've been praying for this to happen for a long time, but I thought I would never see it. So this should be an encouragement to every follower of Jesus as we go out and we pray that God will use us to make disciples. Now, will some people reject Christ? Sure. Will some people reject us? Sure. But that also happened to Jesus back in the day. Why would it not happen to us? We can't control how other people react. We just need to be faithful to do what God has called us to do. I mentioned earlier that some people in the church resist being a part of this mission because it's uncomfortable or we feel like we're not equipped or we look at the story of Zacchaeus and we say, I can't do what Jesus did. I'm not Jesus. And you know, that's very true. But I want to challenge you to read a different story over in Acts chapter 8. If you look at the bottom of your note sheet in your bulletin, uh, there's a Bible reading plan. And every one of those passages are connected to what we talk about on Sunday. And I hope you'll make it a habit to follow that plan. Acts chapter 8 is on the list this week. And in that chapter, there's a great story of a man, not Jesus, just a man who was used by God to lead someone else to Jesus. This man's name was Philip. And God led Philip to cross paths with a man from Ethiopia. And when Philip found this guy, he was actually reading Scripture and trying to understand it. So the door was wide open for Philip to explain who Jesus was and how to begin a relationship with him. You see, God had prepared the heart of this Ethiopian man. He was ready to give his life to Christ right then and there. As they traveled along, they passed by a pool of water, and the Ethiopian said, why can't I be baptized right now? And Philip was like, there's no reason to wait. Let's do it. So the Ethiopian man was baptized into Christ. On that day, his life was changed for all eternity. And why did that happen? Because Philip was great at arguing? No. Because Philip gave a great sales pitch? No. Those skills are not necessary. In a lot of cases, those skills aren't even helpful. You see, it goes back to something we said last week. We can't do God's part. We can't do the other person's part. We can only do our part. So you can show love to people. You can tell your story of how Jesus changed your life. And you can pray for people. Anyone can do these things. As we come to the end of this message and the end of this series, I want to speak to anyone who still has some level of resistance about this mission. Over the years, I've heard some pushback, even inside the church. People will say, making disciples... That's really for ministers or, or people with the gift of evangelism. I don't think the average Christian needs to focus on that. Uh, for most of us, we can just go out and make the world a better place. 
we can focus on showing compassion and working for justice. So what's your take on that? The way I see it, there's a false choice there. Because if you focus on the mission of reaching the lost and making disciples, that does not prevent you from showing compassion and making the world a better place. I mean, look at the ministry of Jesus. How many times did he heal someone from some kind of physical sickness or problem? Or what about the story of the Good Samaritan? What's that about? You got this man who was beat up and robbed, and and then you got these two religious leaders that just walk on by because they're too busy. And what did Jesus say about that? Well, one of the greatest commandments is to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, the Samaritan who stopped to help is the only one who was a neighbor to the man that was robbed. So, no, it would be wrong to try to lead people to Christ without showing compassion to people around you, without doing good in the world. But what about the other option? What about the Christians who show compassion, but they never get around to leading people to Christ? I actually witnessed that this summer. Uh, during my sabbatical, I visited several other churches, uh, and I wanted to experience at least one church that was very different than Plum Creek. So I stopped by a big, old, mainline denominational church da- in downtown Cincinnati. It was a very small service, only about 40 people. And honestly, I was very impressed with these people. They were kind, very thoughtful, very sincere They didn't have a sermon that day, but they did read a passage of Scripture, and then they just talked. Everyone had a chance to share. And the conversation turned to gun violence, and they were really disturbed by what's been happening in our country. And it wasn't long before I noticed a theme. A lot of them talked about being afraid. A lot of them talked about being discouraged. Somebody said, I'm trying to make the world a better place, but it feels like we're going backwards instead of forwards. So what's the answer? Where's the hope for this world? It was very interesting. Not a single one of them mentioned that this world will change when more and more people have a genuine relationship with Christ. And not a single one of them mentioned that the gospel has the power to transform a person from the inside out. And nobody mentioned that the church needs to get serious about the mission of leading people to Christ. Best I can tell, this church just glosses over that part of the Bible. But I tell you what, when the church loses sight of its mission, it loses its purpose. And when Christians forget that people are actually lost without Jesus, we forget why he came to earth in the first place. So, This is a reminder for all of us. Yes, Christians should show love and compassion in all kinds of ways, but we must prioritize the mission of leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. You know, throughout this series, we've asked you to think of three names, three people in your circle who need to experience a relationship with Jesus that changes their lives. Hopefully, you've thought of your three names Hopefully, you've been praying for these people. Now it's time to take another step. In your bulletin today, I'm sure you noticed three postcards. 
And these are invitations to our new series called The Gospel. We're going to take a seven-month journey through the life of Jesus. We'll be drawing from all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we'll go through this story in chronological order. But I'm telling you right now, this is the perfect time to invite someone to church. This series is the perfect opportunity to come to know Jesus or to know him better. So do you have your three names? Do you know who you will invite? My prayer is that every one of us will reach out this week. And then we'll let God do what only he can do. I want to close by doing something a little different. I want to take a moment to look back and reflect on our lives. Think, think about your past. If you are a follower of Christ today, I want you to think of one person who played a key role in leading you to Christ. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a minister or a relative or a friend. Do you have someone in mind? If you do, I want you to take a moment, close your eyes, and thank God for that person. Now, we'll just continue with our eyes closed. and I want you to imagine what your life would have been like if no one had been there to lead you to Jesus. Doesn't that make you grateful? Doesn't that make you want to play that role? that same role for others who need Jesus? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for Jesus. Thank you that Jesus came to seek and to save lost people like us. I pray that all of us will make a commitment to you right now. Some of us need to make a commitment to follow Jesus for the first time. Some of us need to make a commitment to get serious about the mission of leading people to Jesus. And some of us need to make the specific commitment to reach out this week and invite people to come and encounter Jesus. Lord, I want to give some space for everyone here to speak to you directly and make whatever commitment you've called them to make. So right now, go ahead and, and speak to God. Tell him what you are committing to based on however he's calling you. Go ahead and do that. Father, thank you for calling us. Thank you for using our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing one more song. And I want us to remember the commitments they've made. That's a promise to God. And if you are here and you know you, you need to make that commitment to follow Jesus for the first time, remember the story of Zacchaeus. Remember how Jesus offered him grace, offered that relationship, and then Zacchaeus accepted that offer, and then he was a changed man. That can happen for anyone who finds life-changing relationship with Jesus. So if you know that's you,
At the end of the service today, when we dismiss, I'm going to be right at the front of the stage here. A prayer team will be down front as well. And we'd love to walk alongside you as you make this commitment to follow Christ. We'd also love to pray with you for any reason, for whatever is on your heart. As we sing, I want you to really focus on the words of this song. Because it's all about, you know, the fact that we are like Zacchaeus. We deserve punishment. We don't deserve grace. So if you know this song, you can sing with us. If you don't know it, just let these words sink in. Let's stand together. Okay. 
Thanks so much for being here today. One thing I want to let you know, if you haven't signed up for Life Group yet, it's not too late. You can do that today right out in the gathering area there in the center of the room. So again, thanks for being here. Have a great week.